Welcome to our next installment of the Rebels of the Heart virtual conference series. It's been an ongoing segment where we've featured great leaders across all different areas of business, different companies, really showing the next generation of leadership and what leadership with a heart looks like in terms of rebels breaking the rules, creating new rules, and, and establishing what a healthy business and personal relationship can look like. I'm Derek Bunston, CEO of Life Guides, uh, and we're building a platform for preparing people to do extraordinary good by using technology to match people who have been through a life challenge of some sort with those who are going through the same or a very similar experience now provide peer-to-peer mentorship support and guidance to help people be happier, healthier, and more productive in both their work life and home life and where those come together. So I'm thrilled today to welcome our next guest, best-selling author, in my opinion, and to be soon and recognized in all interactive media and digital media and print media, author Mark Trowley of the new and bestseller, Lead With Heart, on the Rebels of the Heart podcast and show. Mark, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your exemplar, exemplary leadership in this space. Uh, as I said to you, I think we're kindred spirits here. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. So I just want to honor you first and foremost. Oh, you're a pioneer of this work. That's lovely. I appreciate that very much, Derek. Thank you. Yeah. So first off, why don't, we, why don't we jump into it? I mean, we're on the Rebels of the Hard show. I'll give you some background, which you may not be aware. We started this two and a half years ago, recognizing there was a shift taking place in leadership in organizations the shift towards uh, people-first practices and, and love at the center of what is possible in business. And I thought this was a pretty revolution, revolutionary idea, hence the rebel's name. Then I come to find out that you wrote the book on this over a decade ago, and now we're re-releasing it on the next iteration. So you know, what is that? It has to be, one, a validation of your work that more and more people, I mean, you might be know Claude Silver from VaynerMedia. She has a podcast series called Lead With Heart. You have a book called Lead with Heart. I mean, there's a lot of business leaders, organizations of all sizes that are embracing this, not as a philosophy, but as a way of living and a way of being and a way of managing. I mean, what is your, what's your initial reaction just to that? Well, um, I was actually Claude Silver's very first guest on her podcast. So that I didn't even know. See, you know, there you go. So that was a really lovely thing. You know, I'll tell you that... Um, this has not been an easy road. This is not, you know, and it's interesting because I have a friend who's really more of a coach to me than it has been for a long time and, and on like every possible level of my life. And, you know, so she said, so when the book came out in 2011 and now the new edition is, has just come out and it's completely rewritten, but it's the same it's the same thesis, the same ideas. Nothing has changed in that regard. The new book is basically more validation, yeah. profound validation from what I originally said. But in 2011, the world and the culture was not ready for that message. There were some people, probably like you, Derek, that were on board with it and understood it. And it's interesting because education got this first. Like the yeah. book's been taught in nine universities and continues to be taught right. in universities. An MBA program in the Big Ten, a PhD leadership program. So they got it. But business, like, you know, they, they thought like the guy's got to be a religious nut, a spiritualist, or somebody who doesn't get business. But it was the trifecta. Literally, my speaking, my speaking um, agent told me that there were so many companies that were really intrigued. Like, you know, do we get the orange car? You know, orange would be a really cool. And then at the last minute, they go, oh, man, the guy's going to come on stage and he's going to sing Kumbaya. And he's going to run the whole thing. And so this is sort of our attitude. 
And so my friend, going back to her, she said, if you knew it was going to take 11 years for the world to take this all very seriously, would you have done it? Like from the day once, like you put this book out, it's only going to be 11 years before the rest of the world kind of comes on board with it. And I don't know the answer, but my instinct sort of says, no, because it's (laughs) painful to have to wait that long. But, you know, I I would say this, that um, I'm encouraged by what you said. So if you, from your point of view, you're seeing a change. Absolutely. It's happening, but I, I'm still from Missouri on this one. You know, you got to show, you got to show me that like, is it really truly happening? Because it, it, it requires a major shift in thinking, thinking in the sense that it has two forms of intelligence here. If you're just relying on this one, um, and then you're not really going to embrace what I'm talking about. We completely agree. And I think that is the, I, I think that is taking place for now is that integration of heart and mind, um, the business skills with the emotional capabilities and the integration of what's happened. I, I think for it's worth, I think the pandemic and all the compounding and associated challenges that have happened have necessitated this shift, right? That the old way of doing business was, would have been, would have resulted in abject failure. Had, had that continued in the form that it was in the new circumstances that we have. And so I think to, to your credit, I think external circumstances, let's call it a higher power and, and what's, of what's possible in humanity is supporting this. I, I personally believe that, that whether, and not even if they get too spiritual about it, but I think that there's a shift that's happened. We've been forced to adapt. And the only way to do that is to access inner wisdom, human wisdom of that, of that emotionality, of that connection, of the things that I mean, think back to being a child, right? That, those, these are things that you cultivate first. Before you even cultivate your mind, you cultivate your feelings. Your heart is your first organ that forms in your body. There's a reason for that, right? So and I, that might be in your book, but that, that, that yeah. <laughs> there's some truth to that. There's a reason for that. That's that to your point. That's the first source of intelligence. We're connecting with our with our caregivers. We're connecting with our instincts, and then the brain comes as a validation. And so we, as as business leaders, historically have been educated to think in the mental. But it's the it's the mental to the heart that is really, I believe, a, a a transformative change that's taking place right now. And CEOs are being confronted with this, and leaders are being confronted with this. So, well, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, first of all, to pin down your, your the point about the heart being formed in an embryo first, you know, the implication of that is that nature designed hey. us that way. Like, who, who are we going to put in charge here? Right? Who either who do we trust to make this thing work? Right? Yes. So it's like the brain or the heart. So I, I find that fascinating. But I'll also tell you that you know when so when the book came out originally, I had nobody knew who I was. I was coming out of a corporate job and I had no platform, and then I have this off-putting title, Lead from the Heart. Right. So um, it might as well been kick me or you know right it, 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 there were so many people that just kind of thought okay like this this isn't going to fly and we don't bring heart into business so this guy's got to be a softy and so when i realized that okay i got the validation from education but business is long ways away mm-hmm. so i thought okay so what's my strategy going to be and so what i did and this speaks to your spiritual implications of all of this i I started writing articles for Fast Company mm. and with the intention of dripping on people so they could read one and go, huh, kind of interesting. 
And they read another one and go, huh, like, he's not the nut I thought he was. Like, he's actually making sense, you know? And so started doing this and the, the, several of them were, were like, the fast company came back to me and said, like, this is number one worldwide. And like, wonderful. That tells me that people are responding to this, right? So then I started, okay, I'm going to do a podcast. And the intention of the podcast was that people could actually hear me and go, okay, he's not crazy. He's not a nut. He's not a Hare Krishna or whatever their fantasy was, right? And the benefit of that was that I was learning. So all of the people that I had on my podcast, for example, 100 people, they're all bringing work that is in some meaningful way validating the original thesis. So when it came time to writing the book, I had learned so much more. So the point is, is that if it had all been successful 11 years ago, I wouldn't be anywhere near as secure in my message. Even though I was very, very secure in it, the difference between where I was 11 years ago and today is like, there isn't any way you can tell me that this isn't the future of leadership. Like I'm, you know, and so... I'm the beneficiary of those 11 years, even though it was a painful process to go through. Beautiful. So let me, I'm, I'm, as I'm sharing with you, I'm just starting the book. Thank you for, for giving me a copy here to read. I'm looking forward to it. Where does that, you, you mentioned security. Where does it come from? Like where, I mean, this is something that obviously you, you, it's your life's work. It's obvious that it's your life's work. But where, before this was accepted as a concept, where did this come from for you? Like where did this idea originate? Where did this value system originate? I have the impression that you've done a lot of intentional work in cultivating this life system, for lack of a better term, and how you have how you've shown up in, in your life. So. Well, um, I don't want to spoil the book for you. Okay. <laughs> when you get into the preface, and I I I don't want to spoil it, but um, this is another spiritual thing where somebody told me, so like a spiritual advisor sent to me, like you're going to have to tell your story in the book. And my story was like not something I ever wanted to tell, not because of like the story itself, but because telling it would be too painful. And so I'll, all I'll say is in a sequence of events, my mom died when I was very young and my father raised me and he was psychologically and emotionally abusive and would just scream at me and just basically seemed his intention was to destroy my human spirit, to cripple me for life. Yeah. And so when you're raised by a you know, single father, raised by with those intentions, he did a lot of harm. And then he kicked me out of the house right after I graduated from high school with nothing. And so I didn't see him again. I didn't go home for Sunday dinners. There was no money for college or anything. And so what ended up happening for me was I mean, he had convinced me so much that I was going to be this abject failure that I equated, it was binary. If I didn't graduate from college, I was going to be the very person that he described. I was going to be that failure. So by hook or crook, I was going to get through college. And I should have been kicked out the first year because, you know, it was just so, I couldn't figure out how to make a living. I mean, I had a job, but I wasn't making enough money to live and go to college and, and have the discipline from a time management standpoint. But ultimately, I kind of got through that, obviously. Right. So by the time I'm entering into my junior year, I, I've made a ritual, you know, get up in the morning, go to school, go to work, go to school and study, go back and do the same thing. And just that was my life. And I ended up doing very well. And I graduated. And when I got into work and I started managing people, actually back up, 
when I was graduating, I started to look at the people who were graduating with me. And they're all going off to Harvard Law School and medical schools and graduate schools. And I'm like, like, how the hell did I get through this? This is like, you know, this is probably the best it's ever going to be for me. Still, all that self-esteem, all the, the kinds of things that he had put in me. And so I didn't apply to any graduate schools, but these people went off and did that. And I was looking at them and I'm thinking like, what's the difference between them and me? Like I did well in school. I did. And ultimately, and, um, and I realized that these people just had so much more support. They had somebody going, how are you doing your classes? Oh, you got an A on your paper? Great. Congratulations. Tell me about the class. Tell me about your professor. Oh, don't take this class now. I'll take this class and all the thoughtful direction and Love, basically, right? So this is the answer to your question. When I started managing people, I unconsciously, and unconsciously I mean for the next 20 years of my life, managed people by giving them everything that I always wanted and never got. So I made people feel safe and I taught them everything that I could possibly teach them. And I coached them and I told them how grateful I was to have them on my team. So no one ever went home on a Friday night worrying, does Mark like me? Am I doing a good job? Am I going to get fired? All the fantasies people have, people didn't have to worry about that. And I found ways to promote them and to do all kinds of things to basically make people feel, feel, use the word earlier, wonderful, supportive. Right. And so I'm setting people up for optimal thriving. So when it came time to writing the book, that's all I wanted to do is to say, look, I perfected this. And somebody said to me when I was 43 years old, she said, you know, you manage people very differently, don't you? And I was just beginning to understand that there was something different, like no one around me was managing this way. And so, Derek, what I started to do is just to perfect it. I wasn't thinking about writing a book or doing this work. I was thinking I was going to continue to be an executive in financial services, and I wanted to get better at it. And I was already doing great. And with all my teams excel because they were thriving. And so when people are thriving, they're going to do the best work, yeah. especially when they love you as a manager because I'm loving them back. And you know, I'm, I'm not talking about hugging people yeah. or doing all this stuff. I'm demonstrating it to them through my yeah. behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And so the long and short of it is that I spent a year looking for validation that I could have been affecting the hearts and people. And so the difference in my work is, is that I'm this term lead from the heart or heart-led leader from a metaphorical point of view. And I'm saying, no, it's literal. Like you said, the science that shows that the heart is formed in the embryo first, you know, well, okay, so are, is there any evidence to support that when you care about people that it's affecting them more than here? It actually doesn't affect them here. It affects us here. Okay. And then that influences our thinking and our behavior. So, uh, I, you know, as I look back on this, I think, okay, so my mom was supposed to die. I was supposed to have the father that, you know, treated me this way. Because it was a journey. Like, I truly believe this is my purpose. This is why I'm here. This is why I gave 11 more years to it when it was, you know, up and down and questionable as to whether or not people were going to accept it. Yeah. So, I mean, so first off, thank you for sharing that, that story uh, on so many levels. And I want to just acknowledge, you know, that I can imagine how challenging and unfortunate that would have been and hard growing up in that environment. So that's first and foremost. And it sounds like you've done a lot of work healing that in, in accepting and forgiving and, and in all the dimensions of that, the relationships yourself and all those different pieces, because you have to in, order to, in order for you to be able to communicate, I believe, for you to communicate 
what you've done effectively to so many people is required a level of intentional healing on your part. And I would say this is still an ongoing process, I would imagine, for you. But it's still clear that your actions have demonstrated this in actions. And it's, and it's allowed you to become who you are and to be able to stand for and advocate for and speak from a place of, of service and a place of support for other people. And I would say that there's many, many people in the world that, that have not come from that background of having support and a container of love and, and, and helping them being their champion, being their advocate. And so there are a lot of children and adults who, who were those children who did not work through it the way that you have. And they still need that level of support in the environment that they're in. I believe that if we do that for those people in our companies, we're going to have healthier companies. We're going to have healthier families. We're going to have healthier people. We're going to have healthier generations, right? We can be the ancestral shift for the future people that are coming after us. And I would imagine that the way that you showed up, I read the, the, the dedication, the way that you showed up to your children and the way that they're showing up to your grandchildren is a profound shift from the way that you and your father's relationship was. No question. No question. And, you know, to add to this idea of what you just said, uh, what I realized unconsciously, again, it's amazing how unconscious I was, and but, you know, that everything that I was doing worked, so I never questioned it. It was just like yeah. a flow chart, you know, works, you just keep doing it until somebody pointed it out. But as I have had plenty of time to reflect on this, and the choices that I made and how I was managing, I realized that the people that I managed helped heal me because my fantasy explicitly was, these are the things that I didn't get. And these are the things that I kind of think the people next to me at UCSD got. And so if I had gotten that, how much more successful, effective could I have been when I'm graduating from college, right? So now I'm managing people and the fantasy was, what if I gave all that to them? Like if I gave them all those things that I believe would have made me infinitely more effective and successful, would it help other people? And the amazing thing, I did it unconsciously, but that's what happened. And of course, you know, people were beating a path to work for me and I kept getting promotions. And because of my self-esteem, you know, because I'm being told from a very early age that I'm a piece of shit and never going anywhere and never going to be successful, I didn't understand why I kept getting all these promotions. You know, I mean, big jobs. Like by the time I was 30, I was running sales for a major bank and I'm like, they're going to come and take me out one day in a straight jacket because they're going to realize like, I don't deserve to be in this job. But they saw what I was doing. And it's so interesting when you think, you know, 30 years ago that people saw what I was doing. But if I were to describe, they would say, oh, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. So I got promoted for doing it. But if yeah. you dissected it and explained to them what I was doing, they would have, oh, we don't do that here. Cognitive dissonance for sure. Right. right? Yeah, exactly. We've, been We've been conditioned a certain way in the business world to think that way. Right. Exactly. So at that point, what, what was the reason? What was the catalyst for why you re released the book now? And obviously, I'm, there's a lot more depth and validation to your point. But is there, was there a moment where you're like, I need to, I got to do a second edition right now? Um, I, the, the truth is my publisher came to me and said, um, we, your book sold more copies last year than it did the entire time it's been out. Well, isn't, isn't that affirming is right. Isn't, isn't that affirming of the Well, it, it was, yeah. it was, but what they didn't know 
was how much work I had done to reinforce the original yeah. message. So when I gave them the manuscript for the, and they, by the way, they go, we need you to do it in a hundred days, which completely yeah. freaked me out. And um, I, how am I going to do this in a hundred days? The first one took me two years. So I did it in 81 days. And so it's like, I realized when I'm writing it, like, this is me, man, this is coming out of me. And so it was interesting because um, when I gave them the manuscript, they were like, oh, we had no idea you were going to do this. Like they, they thought it was going to be basically, you know, changing a few words here. And so they got really excited. They just said, oh, my God, like, you know, this is much bigger. And so week after the books that came out two weeks ago, yesterday, and they've already decided to publish a special edition in India, and they were planning on doing that. So um, there was, I just, it's all kind of meant to be, you know, there was an inevitability, I suppose, Derek, but, you know, they finally realized this is the moment. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're an evangelist, you're an ambassador for change here in the context of corporate, corporate of business, not just, not just corporate America, but global business, right? This is something that is innately human, innately needed. People are yearning for it. And what's happened over the last couple of years as we've had a major shift in our work-life routines is that people are, are looking for that meaning and that purpose and that support in different type of ways. And it comes back to that foundational piece. So I, it's so interesting. Here? Hey, but you're spot on. You, I mean, the insight that it's human. So, you know, I've, I've through different conversations with people. So you go, okay, tell me your thesis. And I tell them the thesis. And they go, oh, you know, that'll probably work really great in like hotels, but that'll never work in accounting or, you know, I mean, it, the, the instinct to say that'll never work in insert your name here. Right. And, but all of the research that I've done from the book basically boils down to what you is that, and there are metrics to prove this, that the same things that motivate people in the United States are the same in Canada as in New Zealand, as in India, as in China. It's fault in the way you make people feel. And if yeah. you are making people feel in a way that they feel like they feel safe, they feel supported, they feel cared for, nurtured, growing, yeah. appreciated, all of those translate into some form of love. And when people have that, they're going to perform at an optimal level. When they don't have that, I mean, I don't know if you saw this. Somebody sent me two articles today saying like half of America is quietly quit. Yeah. I mean, that's basic. And, and the other half, by the way, seems to be wanting to quit literally. Right. So nobody appears to be very happy in their job. And like, that doesn't tell us that things aren't working and we need to completely revolutionize the way we manage. I don't know what will. You know? Absolutely. So to, to that point, uh, it's a good question. That, and, and back to, I, I see that you have action behind what you do. So I mean, you said that it's about a decade reinforcing and cultivating this concept in organizations. How are you seeing your evolution as this with this new release, how are you? How are you thinking about taking that champion, you know, championing this cause on another level? What are you? What are you imagining for yourself and for the people? You know, I mean, it, this probably goes to the upbringing, so I don't want to get too far ahead of my skis and go. You know, I see a dynasty. You know, a world revolution. Um, I'm just, you know, my my personal prayer is that this has the impact that. I always believe that it should have um, this, you know, but I'm not the doer here. 
Yeah. This, this was a gift to me. This, I mean, yeah. and by the way, I suffered a lot, you know, I suffered sure. early on and then I suffered in these 11 years. This has not been easy work yeah. and you get the resistance. I was supposed to speak in Amazon with Jeff Bezos in the room. Wow. And think about that. Right. And so, and I just spoke at Yahoo with Marissa Mayer in the room. So I'm like, okay, they're, this the world is taking this seriously. And then a couple of days before I got notified that, oh, we're going to have a smaller meeting and we're not bringing in any extra speakers. So I'm sorry, you can't come to Amazon. And then about three years later, um, Microsoft asked me to speak. And the guy who was asking me to speak for Microsoft happened to be the guy who was at Amazon. Oh, wow. So he had another person on the phone in, our, in this first call and another executive from Microsoft and the guy from Microsoft said, well, has this been hard? Like, did the world, like, like did they like accept this when you came out? And I was like, no. And, it, and I just started to tell him the story. And the other guy goes, well, I kind of have a story to tell you. I tried to hire him at Amazon three years ago and we had them all booked. And my senior VP came and said, tell me about the and he goes, oh, it's Mark Crowley. And um, his book is great. It's called Leap from the Heart. And the guy goes, I'm, you know, is paraphrasing me. He goes, no effing way we're bringing in a guy like that. We need to drive business. We need to bring in somebody who's hard charging and knows how to drive performance. So he's basically telling me I got canceled, but I got canceled for the wrong reason. Yeah. <laughs> I got, it drives performance. It's everything you needed to know. But we just yeah. summarily dismissed it. You know, absolutely. And what I would say to that point, you know, to your comment, it's about the day to day. It's about the small interactions, right? Like, do you, I, I love that you're not going to hit your skis, but what you what you've demonstrated and what you've shared, even just the short call, is that it's about the compound effect of every conversation you've had with someone, of every speech that you've done, every conversation that you've had talking about this concept, the way that you show up with your family, the way that you show up with your colleagues. It's it's all of that, right? It's the multiplication effect that's that's taking place, and it's inspiring other people to do the same thing, and it's it's growing, right? It's multiplying, and so now it's at a point where it's it's getting that 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 consciousness shift that's taking place because more and more people are bubbling up to it, and you know the vibration is matching what you're putting out, and it's it's kind of coming together with at the same time that you know everything's there. So I think it's perfect, man. I really commend you. I appreciate it. I mean it feels like, you know, I've always if you're familiar with the like the hundredth monkey idea. Yeah. Right. Um this is kind of where I'm hoping it goes, where it just because it we fought we, believe me, there we the the fight against this has been and for so for like so unreasonably. Yeah. It's just that like you were mentioned earlier about CEOs, like they're going to embrace this. And, but a lot of times when they are faced with like, here's a new way of thinking about leadership that's actually much more aligned to human well-being and thriving and performance. And then you say, we need you as the CEO to lead the cause. Like you're going to help change the culture of your organization, get people to manage this way. A lot of them instinctively say, well, I got here by not managing like that. Right. So- I need people who are going to work till midnight and get in here at six in the morning. And I don't need any of this love crap and I don't need any of this heart. And, you know, and, and it's this, this reaction that is just so misinformed, but it, it threatens people because if you feel like I've been successful, I'm now a VP and the organization comes to you and says, well, we, we need you to be yeah. like, you, it can't be just about your sales numbers. It has to be about the way you 
develop and care for your people, a lot of them are threatened by it because they're wondering, like, will I be successful? So when you're threatened by your success, then you're going to push back and not want to make the change. And I think that's what the last 11 years have been. Well, let's say something else. I think this, this, these, are not, these are publicly available statistics, but I mean, CEOs, C-suite leaders are, are not immune to mental health issues, to high level of addiction issues, to all sorts of family and marital problems. Like this is, this is a, they, they either quote unquote successful in the sense they've climbed a career ladder and they're making a lot of money. Maybe that's what they wanted, but it does come at a cost, right? It comes at a significant cost. Not to say there's not exceptions to that rule, but there are oftentimes in that model, there's a wake of, of other people's lives that have been influenced, including their own, that is, that is not healthy. Right. And I think that that's something that we need to acknowledge first and foremost is what does holistic success look like, in my opinion? And I think I'll just give you another anchor point for your own. You know, the Victor Hugo quote, there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. I think that's where you are right now. And I think that's where we are right now. And I think that there are executive, because let's put it this way, CEOs, there's a, I forget the exact report, but it was, you know, the idea of tra- personal transformation being a necessity two years ago was like 10%. And now the stats like 80%. Right. I think we might do an essential report. So just the awareness that over the last two years, the top level leadership have been confronted with their own mortality, their own ineffectiveness in certain areas, the shift in company expectations and employee expectations, the shift towards families and recruiting. All these are new ideas and they've been processing it and they've gotten to a point of fatigue and burnout themselves. And so now they're at a point where they need to be, they need the support. They need to transform. They need to find something different and better. And this is exactly the method by which they do it, I believe. So I, I think you're doing amazing work, Mark. I commend you on being the pioneer and taking the arrows. The, the backup, <laughs> the reinforcements are here, so to speak, right? I, I'm happy to be a champion with you on this cause. I think there's many, many people that are, are, are rising to this moment in this challenge. And I think it's a real blessing. And I think that what you've done is incredible. And I, I wish you much success with this book. So to that point, where can our listeners, our viewers, learn more about you, learn more about your work, and where can they buy this? So you can find me. At, I have a C in the middle of my name. So it's markccrowley.com. So and if you if you just remember the name of the book, Lead from the Heart, you can find me at leadfromtheheart.com. So markccrowley.com or leadfromtheheart.com, either one. And you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm on Facebook as Lead from the Heart as well. Um, and the book is in any bookstore, but honestly, the easiest, fastest place to get it uh, is Amazon. There you go. I think you're going to be back giving a talk at Amazon soon for that exact reason. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you know if that ever happens. Absolutely. I, I, I think it's honestly, between you and me, and you know, let, let's keep this a secret so your, your audience doesn't hear this, but I mean... There isn't an odd, there isn't a company on the planet that needs to hear it more than Amazon. I always felt that was ironic. You know, they have this reputation for not being all that good to people. And I, this is a company that succeeded very well by mistreating people. Imagine how much better they could have been if they had really truly cared about people. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the invitation for the shift that could take place to help them to that next level. So I think well said. Thank you for joining us, Rebels of the Heart. Thank you for all you do. Happy to be on your side. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, sir. Everyone on our audience, thank you for joining us today and definitely get Mark's book. <laughs>